Shalom, and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our 2023 Elul Learning Series, entering 5784, sustaining our learning in Elul, with Rabbi Matt Shapiro. It's always a fun game. Uh, when Rabbi Schatz asks me to pick a title for a session that I'm teaching like six weeks later, and then I get reminded of the title that I picked, and then I have to uh, play the game of orienting my session to the title I picked uh, six weeks ago. So that's a fun game. Uh, The title that I picked six weeks ago that we're going to be focusing on tonight is Sustaining Stories, uh, because we're going with the theme of sustaining. And I'm going to to intentionally play with the way that's framed. And I did think of that when I picked the title. I remembered when I remembered what title I picked. Insofar as we each have an obligation and the ability to um, sustain um, different stories that we've heard, um, different stories that are meaningful to us. And I think and believe and have experience that it is through stories, ultimately, that we are sustained. That by having core narratives individually and collectively, it is through those stories that we are able to uh, keep going. I don't think that's a particularly hot take in the Jewish tradition. Um, but so that we have the obligation to sustain stories in terms of keeping the stories that matter going. And it is through stories that we ourselves are able to keep moving forward. So that is big picture uh, what we are going to be considering and exploring tonight. Um, I will throw into the chat uh, the link uh, to the source sheet that I have thrown together. Let me make sure it's the right page. That's always a fun game. Yep, it's the right page. Um It's not a ton of text. Like I said, it's going to be a relatively brief teaching um, before we get into our council for the evening, because that's what we're going to do. Um, But you can see here, I put a couple of quotes. I'll I'll share the sheet in here as well, Um, or screen share, rather, easy for me to say. Um, So you'll, you'll see at the top there, it's a quote that folks might have heard. Um, this great Elie Wiesel quote that God created man because uh, God loves stories, right? This idea that um, each one of us, right, we, as we're in the world, there are all sorts of stories that are generated, stories that are unfolding. And there's something that is unique in that, in the experience of humanity and the way that stories unfold. Um, the next quote that I put there is from a teacher of mine who I actually have been learning from a bit this year. His name is Jim Brule. He is trained as a magid, trained as a as a storyteller. Um, and I've actually been doing a little bit of learning with him, which I've been enjoying a lot. Um, and Jim talks about transformational storytelling. And he talks about how there are, whenever a story is told, there are three things that are transformed. The person who is listening to the story, the person who is telling the story, and the story itself. That when you're listening to a story, if you're really paying deep attention, there is something in you that's going to shift as a result of that story. When you're telling a story, there is something about you that is changing as that story is being shared. 
and that really no no story is ever the same twice. Right? Think think about you know the, the classic of the of the fisherman who caught a big fish, and you know first it was eight feet, then it was ten feet, then it was twelve feet, right? And it's not even that on the nose always. Um, it can be that the way you tell the story of how you met your wife is a little bit different to your kids than to your friends or uh, how you tell the story of, you know, what your coworker said to you is a little bit different to another coworker as opposed to your spouse at home, right? Like when you tell a story, it's always going to be a little bit different. Um, but when we think about the deep stories, the stories that really anchor us in the world, those stories too are, are always shifting and morphing and evolving. Um, and this, this, wow, my spacing is off on the thing. I got to read there. That's much better. Okay. Um, and this last quote that I found that, that I discovered as I was preparing for this session, I think was really interesting from this article called Careful Listening. Storytelling is an act of hope, even of defiance, because it carries within it the power to change. That storytelling is an act of hope because it carries with it the power to change. If I'm telling you a story about me or about my life, that, that's the whole point of a narrative, right? Within a narrative, you start in one place and then you move to another place by the end of the narrative. It's not a story if you say, I woke up and I stayed at home. That's not a story. That's a statement of fact, right? In any story, there's there's a trajectory, there's a journey, there's a, a shift that unfolds over the course of that narrative. Implicit in any story is the possibility of change. Um, I had never really thought about it that way before until I read this quote, and I think it's a, it's a really, um, I, think it's, I think it's poignant, and I think it's accurate, and I think it's beautiful. Before I move to the next phase of the the teaching that I said would be 10 minutes, and will obviously not be 10 minutes, but we're pretending is 10 minutes together, uh, any thoughts before I move us forward? Yeah, Mike, was that a wave or was that a... Yeah, no, I, th I think, you know, when you... Uh... You know, just thinking of the Magid of the of the in the Haggadah, you know, depending on where you are in life, anytime your family sits down at a at a Pesach Seder and you tell the story, yep. depending upon what is going on in your life and and the rest of your family, the story uh has a potential to change everybody. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I I always uh, there's a there's a book that well I haven't actually haven't read it in recent years but I used to like read the 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 Jewish way by Yitz Greenberg mm -hmm. on uh, that that deals with the holidays and um, and it all I always found something new in it when I reread the section of the particular holiday that was coming or the, yeah. you know, anyway. Well, and I'll, and I'll use that as a jumping off point to say, um, you know, particularly, you know, relevant to this idea of, of repeating a story. We read the same Torah every year. It doesn't change. The, te the text itself, the letters of the Torah are the same this year as they were last year. And unless something real weird happens over the next couple of weeks, they'll be the same this coming year too. 
when we start it all over again. The reason we read it is because we are different. And so we will get something at, something different out of the experience reading the Torah individually and collectively than we did this past year. And that's that's one of the beautiful and amazing things about it is that it, it can be right, Mike. Just like you're saying about Magi at, at Pesach, right? The the story of the Exodus from Egypt has has been pretty much the same for a few centuries now, right? It's not it's not a different story, but depending on how you tell it and who you're telling it to and the setting in which you're telling it and how you're choosing to tell it, it can be radically different. It can be a very, very, very different experience. Um, and there's something really beautiful about that. This is this is a, a tangent that I won't go down, but but well, except for I'm naming it, so I'm kind of going down it. Um one of the best Jewish examples of how you can shift the narrative is the story of Hanukkah. Because if you read the original story of Hanukkah, it is really a fairly bloody story. If you read it in the, in the you know, books of the Maccabees, it's a pretty bloody story about military conquest and, and taking back the land. And then when you read how it's synthesized in the Talmud, it's about, isn't it lovely? This little vial of oil lasted for eight nights. It's a very significant change in the narrative, and yet it still holds meaning, and the story still carries forth. So I think there's there's a number of examples from which we can that we can pull from our tradition that that give this example of how stories can morph and change over time, how they can anchor us in meaning, um, and how they they indicate to us the power the power and the possibility of change. A traditional rabbinic text and a contemporary rabbinic text, and then, and then we're going to get into our our exercise for the evening. Um, Brayshit's coming, uh, and we're we're about to mark a new year in which the world was created. So this seemed particularly apt, particularly apt little slice of midrash here. There's this idea in our tradition that God created the world from the Torah. And if that's not a bit of a paradox for you to have a, a rough time wrapping your head around it as you're trying to go to sleep tonight, uh, I don't know what is, right? God created the world from the Torah, and the Torah is in the world. So then the Torah was created, and God looked in the Torah and created the world. And in the world was it, right, like it, it's very much this sort of circular paradoxical concept. So, you know, it's, it's late. Don't think about it too hard. Um, but this pulling from the Midrash, I'd only ever heard like just that sort of phrase. And then I went back and I looked in the Midrash here and it's a very interesting teaching, this concept that the artist does not create just from his own knowledge, just from by himself, but rather he looks at his tools and his implements in order to know how to make rooms and create designs. So too, similarly, God looked into the Torah and created the world. That there is something about the very stories of our tradition, that's what makes creation possible. It's not just that we tell stories because, oh, that's nice. That stories actually anchor the very fabric of the world. It's a really beautiful idea. A little bit of a head-scratcher but a really beautiful idea. And this also made me think about, um, of course, an image that you know, many of us know coming soon to a uh, machzor near you. Uh, this idea of being, hopefully, to a tutu, knock on laptop, this idea of being 
uh, inscribed in the Book of Life, which, depending on your theology, might really resonate with you, but also is a little bit tricky depending on how you feel about a very authoritative or authoritarian the, uh, theology of God, where God is the sole decisor about what happens for you based on how you behave over the course of a few days. Um, and I explored a little bit. And I found this this um, really love what I found to be a really lovely reframing by a, a rabbi who's currently working, Rabbi Rachel Gurevitz. She talks about how she had a hard time believing in a God filling out a ledger in a literal sense, but liking the idea of a book of life. She said, but I am the one, only one holding the pen. Whether I like what has been written and whether what is still to be written will be worth reading is up to me. When we recognize our agency in writing our own book, it can be incredibly freeing and empowering. For sure, we do not get to write every twist and turn in the plot. There are many things that life brings to us that are not of our design or our asking, but we write the response we write the response. This idea of taking agency, of taking control of what's going to be happening to us in our lives. Um, I think about this often. Many many folks on this call know that I worked at Beit Shuva, an addiction recovery center for six years. Um, and I would talk about this often with folks and contextual, I think it, it works here too. This concept that you know, we don't get to control like the details, like the fact the facts are what they are, but we can choose what the story is that we tell about those facts. Right. I can choose to tell a story, right? If I'm if I'm in treatment, you know, my drinking has gotten worse and worse over time, and I'm in treatment and I have no hope and no prospects, and I'm never going to be able to pull it together. That's one story you could tell. Or you could tell a story of, I've been drinking for a long time, it's gotten worse and worse and worse, and here I am in treatment, and here's my chance to finally turn it all around. Same facts. Not disputing any of what has actually happened, but the narrative that's sculpted around those facts makes a huge difference. An immense difference. And there is agency, right? I don't get to choose uh, what has happened, what has happened has happened, but I do have agency in how I'm going to respond to it. And that is, I think, the the creative power of story. Because then by by actively empowering myself, by taking part in how I'm crafting that narrative, I'm affecting significant change in my life because the narrative that I'm telling does have an impact on my self-image and then the choices that I will make and, and what will unfold from there. So this concept, right, this, this title that I'm playing with of, of sustaining stories, um, yes, we need to proactively keep the stories going that matter to us. And I really do think that it is through the narratives that we craft for ourselves that it's possible for that that's how we're able to sustain ourselves and how we can keep going um a pause there for a minute for the 10 minutes that have been 20 minutes and then i'll take us into the thing that we're gonna do next i said it was gonna be a rabbinic 10. turns out a rabbinic 10 is actually 20. maybe i should have known that yeah table nice to see you yeah, see, nice to see. Um, uh, just short because longer, but I was that 
voracious Rabba hit me differently. Going back to the point of uh, uh, Jim Brule, whatever the first name, about how the story's heard and the story changes, because I'm doing the Project Zug with uh, Rabbi Deversack's Mintz mm-hmm. singing, and yeah. we just did the piyut about clay in the hands of the potter. On t- yeah. It happened to be Tuesday. So as soon as the thing about creating, instead of thinking about words in Torah, I was thinking about that piyut which mm-hmm. I don't think I would have thought about other times of the year, of course, yeah. or if I hadn't just been looking at it. Sure. And, and I think there too, right? There is, there is, um, there's a mutuality there, right? A potter ain't worth much if you don't have clay to shape, you know, there, there it takes, takes two to narratively tango uh, as well, it were. And you may not want to go there, but different qualities of clay in different compositions wind up in different places. Sure. Uh, I, yes, I think that works there too. I think that works there too. Um, Renee, I saw you, you, you wrote a comment to me that could mean a few different things. Do you want to talk it out? You said, but then doesn't that remove Hashem from it entirely? I don't know quite what the antecedent for it is there, but I'm curious to hear it if you're, if you're there to share it. Um, just, you know, what you were talking about in terms of the, the artist, the, when you were talking about working with the drug addicts and, and the stories that the way that you presented it, the the addict could say this or the addict could say that, but, and when you were saying those things, it just seemed to me like Hashem was totally removed from, from those stories entirely. And, um, the same was true, is true for like, when you connected it to, to uh to Yom, Yom Kippur and who will live and who will die and uh yeah I guess well, that I, makes I, I don't know if that makes any sure. sense I think that makes sense I think you know as always it depends what you mean when you say Hashem right like if if I'm saying well then then it's it's only up to God exclusively about what will happen and I'm just gonna you know let Moses take the wheel uh, mm-hmm. as it were, right, then yes, that's true. I would say, for me, God is very present in our creative potential. And so... I, mean, I think I'm, it's a combination. I don't think it's exclusively one or the other. I don't know that it needs... I think first of all, if it doesn't work for you... Part of what you, you I, said in terms of destiny, and yeah, I mean, we do write our... Write the, the, that addict does have a choice to make of whether they go down one path or another path. But I think that Hashem is also... Part partly involved in that path and the direction that it goes in. Yeah, I I I agree. I do not I do not disagree with what you're saying. I think I think I think there can be very much a sense of a connection with a, a higher power, something bigger than us, or God, or however you want to explain that. In while also at the same time being empowered to make healthy choices for yourself and how you're choosing to sculpt the narrative around what you've experienced so far in your life and how you want to move forward. And I definitely don't think those are mutually exclusive. I think they, they in fact, are complementary, if you will. Renee, my, my birthday gift for you this year is going to be a new, a new Zoom background. It's going to be, that's going to be my birthday gift for you. I want, I want, I want to see you travel, Renee. I want to see, I want to see you travel. I just came back. I just came back. If I can figure out how to put the pictures on, then I'll. All right. That'd be great. Where were you? I went to Iceland and to Paris to meet new family that we recently discovered. 
Amazing. Yeah, it was That's great. great. It really makes you see, I mean, the creations that Hashem made in this world are just. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Love that. That's fantastic. I'm sure there were some great stories as well yeah. that came out of that. Okay. So here's the, the audience participation part of the game. Uh, here's what we're going to do next. Are people here familiar with the concept of counsel? Do people know what that is? Rabbi, Great. for me, Good. You, Fantastic. Froze. Yeah. You, you froze right as you were saying the critical I word. froze? Oh, that's right. Has anyone ever, here ever heard of? Great. Uh, you know what I don't miss at all? Being on Zoom all the time. This is the first time I've taught on Zoom in a very long while. And I got to tell you, folks, though, it is lovely to see some of you, especially those of you who can't be with us in three dimensions at Temple Beth Am. Uh, I do not miss Zoom teaching even a little bit, but it's lovely to see you guys. Uh, I have far fewer tech glitches when I'm interacting with people in person. Okay. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, are people here familiar with the concept of counsel, do people know what that is as a storytelling practice? Has anyone heard of? It? Are you? Is it C I L or S E L? D O U N C I L, counsel, like a council of elders. Great. Okay. So, counsel is a traditional Native American practice of story sharing, and uh, loosely described. The underlying ethos of it is that there is wisdom to be gained from all of our stories. So it is a, an intentional uh, opportunity for people to share and experience each other's stories. Um, I think there is ample overlap between this concept and our tradition. There's a lot to riff on in terms of Revelation at Sinai, we each sort of heard and experienced Torah in a different way. We each have our own Torah to teach. I think there's plenty of overlap there. Um, and I am familiar with counsel because it has been a practice at Pressman Academy for over 20 years. I think 22 years at this point, facilitated through the school's wellness department. Um, and I think it has the capacity to be a very um, powerful and impactful experience. We'll see how it works over Zoom, but I think we can. Are do you it. talking about Inez's council with the stick council? I do not have a stick, but same concept. Yes. So you you know, there you go. Um, yeah, it's been it's been in Pressman Academy for for a long time, and the ethos of it is very much related to what to what I've been talking about so far, that it is through our stories, the stories that we share, the stories that we hear, um, that we can be sustained. So there are four guidelines for counsel, and then I'll take us into the council and we'll see how we do. I know it's late, but I think we can do it. We're gonna give it a shot and see how it goes, right? Yeah, you guys don't wanna hear me talk the whole time. This will be much more interesting. Um, Four rules for, for, for guidelines, I want to say rules. Four guidelines for counsel. One, we listen from the heart. We listen openly to the story that another person is sharing. Two, we speak from the heart. We speak and share openly. Three, we are lean with our sharing. There's a nice 
a nice, healthy collection of, of folks here on Zoom tonight. We want to make sure there's time and opportunity for anyone who wants to share to be able to share. And four, that the sharing should be spontaneous. Some of us, certainly not me, but some of us, when we hear other people talking, are just waiting for our turn to talk. I never do that. Uh, uh, but so this is making sure that you are really listening to what someone else is saying and that if and when it's your turn to speak, that you speak in what comes to you. You're not worrying about rehearsing it. You're just sharing openly. Those are the guidelines for counsel. Questions? Yes, Paula. So we're being recorded. That to me is a huge barrier to completely open-hearted discussion or sharing. Tybal agrees by a thumbs up. Okay, I can pause the recording. Norm's not going to be happy about it, but I can pause the recording. Uh, do folks want me to pause the recording? I'll pause the recording. Why not? Okay. Uh, if you are listening to this over the podcast, uh, I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard so far. And I encourage you to try out counsel uh, with some other folks near you. Maybe we'll unpause it at the end. Maybe we won't. If you're listening to the recording, either this is the end or maybe we'll have a couple minutes at the end. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.